It is uh, good to be with you on this Lord's Day. Uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to uh, uh, stand before you and to, uh, to maybe bring a message uh, of encouragement. At least that's, that's my hope. But if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Galatians. We want to look this morning at the aspect of, of biblical faith as it works through agape love in a community. Agape love is, is a, a supernatural love that God gives us as, as believers and how that works uh, you know, in terms of community. There, it, it is interesting because most of us have opportunities to be involved in community. For some of us, it's the community of the family. For others, it's, it's not only that, but also where you work. It could be your school or being on an athletic team. And of course, church is a community. And uh, Paul is writing to a, a group of churches in uh, what is present-day Turkey. There have been some um, oh, false teachers that have infiltrated the church that is uh, causing a disruption in the harmony of these churches and the relationships of the people. And part of the problem is that some of, the, some of these false teachers have come in and have basically said that, you know, well, Paul, what he was teaching really isn't accurate. We've got the, the right kind of doctrine, and Paul's not even an apostle, really. I mean, and so uh, the apostle's having to kind of correct that. But that, but that has caused, uh, well, confusion. It's caused some, um, oh, angst, I guess you could say, or, or a lack of harmony. That's one of the major themes in chapter 5. Uh, moving into, into chapter 6. Now, I'm kind of starting at the end of this letter, but I wanted this message to be something that's practical, uh, something that uh, we can take with us and apply, not only in terms of our relationships with each other in this community, in the church setting, but also elsewhere, because uh, we all rub shoulders with people throughout uh, the day. And so I think the theme of community is foremost in the mind of the Apostle Paul here as he's going to talk about biblical faith that works through love in uh, these different kinds of communities. So, if um, uh, again, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you for, for you to look in chapter 5. We're going to look in, in uh, chapter 5, we're going to go from actually verse 24 to chapter 6, verse 6. L- let's just look at the first three verses, okay? Uh, and then we'll, we'll look at the chapter 6 uh, in a minute. But, but if you have your, uh, your Bibles there... I'll be reading from the NIV. Paul says this. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. If you're taking notes, the first point, point one of your notes is this. What should be true for all believers? It's a question. You know, what is it that should be true for all of us who know Christ as our personal Savior? Well, Paul lays out a couple things that that are to be true of us. Uh, First of all, he says we are to crucify the flesh. Verse 24, and again, if you're following along your notes, that's, that's point A. We are to crucify the flesh. He says, look, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, what in the world does that mean, to crucify the flesh? Well, Paul, again, is using a common um, idea back then. Uh, Crucifixion was something that the Romans uh, did on a regular basis for uh, people that uh, needed to be uh, exhibit uh, or experience capital punishment. But but the crucifixion that Paul's talking about here is a little different. The the crucifixion of the flesh, um, I think that word flesh could be defined as sin nature. Paul is not saying that, uh, hey, look, we need to physically, um, you know, do damage to our bodies. But, but I like to, to substitute that phrase there, that, that word sin nature. 
And so he says that we are to, we are to crucify the sin nature. Now, now notice, this, this is something that, that Paul is describing here that is not done to us, but rather it is something done by us. You see, as Christians, we are the agents uh, of this crucifixion. Uh, Paul is describing the process of dealing, actually in a practical way, with our sin nature. See, all of us came into the Christian life, well, all of us came into life, for that matter, uh, with having this, this nature that has a propensity to want to go its own independent way, do its own thing, to basically live independent of God. It's our sin nature. The Bible calls us sinners before we came to saving faith in Jesus Christ because that's what we did. Although some may do it better than others, but uh, I mean, that was something that, that we all experienced, that we all uh, uh, dealt with. So Paul says, okay, what we need to do on a regular basis, he's laying this foundation, the foundation of how biblical faith works through love in a community, is that, is that we have to, on a regular basis, we have to deal with our sin nature. We have to put it to death. Paul here is describing the daily aspect of rendering our sin nature powerless. Because that's what happened. When you and I came to saving faith in Christ, and we were baptized into Christ spiritually, uh, the sin nature was rendered without power at that point. In other, words, in other words, our sin nature no longer has dominion, it no longer has authority, it no longer has reigning rights in our life. And really, the only reason why we sin now as Christians is because we choose to sin. We give that sin nature power. And so Paul is saying, no, you know, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, we need to be dealing with our sin nature. We need to crucify it. Um, Well, how do we do that? Well, uh, one of the ways that we do that is through exercising uh, some of the spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. Uh, The discipline of prayer on a regular basis. The discipline of reading Scripture and and going a little bit further. Meditating on Scripture. Reflecting on Scripture. It is a, a spiritual discipline that uh, we need to employ in terms of, of, of exercising repentance. Repentance is where we have a change of mind concerning something that's wrong that we're doing, uh, some wrong way of thinking uh, that leads to a change in behavior. Uh, also, there is the, the aspect of, of uh, exercising self-control. You know, all of these are, are part of the aspect of, of or some of the aspects of, of uh, spiritual disciplines in our life that we have to uh, deal with. See, uh, daily we need to learn how to die to self. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said it this way. He said, "I, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, or I now live physically, uh, I I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself uh, for me. Uh, Remember, crucifixion of the sin nature does not mean that the sin nature is totally destroyed. What it means is that our sin nature has been judged, and, and not only that, but it has been, its power has been decisively broken. And so it's something for us to, to remember. Uh, so, so not only, number one, are we to uh, crucify our flesh, but then point B, we are to keep in step, Paul says, with the Spirit. And now Paul uses an interesting word here. Uh, in fact, the, the, the sentence is structured in such a way, he says, since we live by the Spirit... Uh, the construction here of this sense, sentence gives it a, a rhetorical power. What do I mean by that? Well, in other words, what Paul wants the readers to do is to stop and ask themselves the question of, wait a minute, am I really? I mean, is this really true of me that I'm walking in step with the Spirit? That I'm following the Holy Spirit's lead? 
uh, he doesn't, just doesn't want us to gloss over that. One of the things I think that is interesting is as you get older in the Christian life, as you walk with the Lord over a number of years, it is easy to think that you're doing okay spiritually. It, it, there are times where I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm walking in step with the Spirit. But then when I stop and I kind of think and reflect on wait a minute, what's been going on in my life, uh, I have a different uh, perspective on that. You see, we live in a culture and a time when, when we're just constantly being bombarded with, with information. There's constant distractions that, that are going on. We have to be intentional in terms of, well, uh, getting quiet, being intentional in terms of going before the Lord and asking, well, now, Lord, is there anything I've done today or this week that has offended you? Is there anything, any thought or any, any action that is displeasing to you? See, Paul uses this, this sentence in such a way that he's hoping that, that as the reader reads this, that they'll stop and, and ask, you know, the fact that, that since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, is this really true of me? You know, the basic demand of Christian discipleship is that we take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said it this way. He said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. See, it's that aspect of where I've got to deny what I want to do sometimes in order to obey what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. And that's, that's challenging. We're going to see this, especially as it comes to relationships and dealing with uh, uh, relationships in, in a biblical way, how that, that can be challenging. Now, again, Paul stretches this metaphor a little further in, in the context here of Galatians by saying that we must not only take up our cross okay, and, and, and follow and walk with the Lord, but that we actually need to see the execution of our sin nature. It is something that we need to, to be doing. So there's more to it uh, than just uh, you know, following Christ. It's, it's where we get involved with understanding that, that crucifixion produces death, but it doesn't produce eradication. And it's a, it's a long process. You know, uh, when people were literally crucified on a cross, many of them would live for days dying. They wouldn't just die all at once. Uh, in fact, that's why they were a little surprised when Jesus was on the cross. They went up to break his legs because uh, they wanted to expedite matters, and they found he was already dead. They were surprised because crucifixion was a, it took, it took a while. And so Paul is using that kind of imagery here as he wants us to understand this foundation the foundation of how faith works through love uh, is, is that understanding that it's going to take time. Now, the verse here tells us that there are no shortcuts <clears throat> to spiritual victory in, in the Christian life. Uh, there are no quick fixes, okay? Uh, in other words, it, it takes time. To, it, it takes time where we are being consistent, we're being uh, obedient, we're being vigilant in terms of dealing with... Um, those concepts, those ideologies, those worldviews that are out there that are constantly bombarding us. In fact, I think that's why the Apostle Paul in Corinthians said that, that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are to see these, these thoughts and these worldviews, these ideologies that are coming into our minds. Are these things really biblical? You see, we need to be subduing the lust of, of our sin nature and its desires uh, on a regular basis, but it's a process. And thank goodness for that, <laughs> you know, because, uh, again, we're, we're maybe not where we should be, 
but we're not where we used to be in terms of this, this journey that we're going through. So, so Paul kind of lays out that, that, uh, that aspect of, of the Christian life in terms of how this is all going to work out. And then secondly, point two, <clears throat> he leads into a warning. You see, all the epistles were written, the letters in the, in the New Testament that were written by the, the authors, they were written to churches to address certain problems that those churches were going through. And I think the problem here, partially uh, contributing to the factor, was that there were false teachers that were in there teaching wrong kind of doctrine. But it was creating, um, I think, an attitude of arrogance within the congregation. See, because in point two uh, of your notes, Paul gives a warning to the believers here. If you look in verse 26, he says, he says this. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. See, there, there is a prerequisite to love. In order to love other people, we've got to have a proper view of ourselves. We have to have a proper view of, of how we relate and are relating to one another or to other people, especially in, in a church community. Uh, the, the problem here within these churches it was a, is that there was a lack of harmony that was going on. Part of that was being uh, produced because of an attitude that people had with regards to being maybe better than others, thinking that uh, they were more spiritual than others, thinking that maybe they had more spiritual gifts than others. And so uh, those who didn't have maybe the gifts they had, they were second class. And, and so it was creating some, some disharmony. See, cultivating community, loving one another, forming healthy relationships, it's not an easy thing. Uh, when you think about what goes on in terms of, of being close to people, how people at times will disappoint us, uh, how at times uh, expectations will not be met, uh, sometimes uh, we won't meet other people's expectations. Um, and, and we learn how to push other people's buttons, don't we? <laughs> we can be very good at doing that. Paul, in another part of Scripture, wrote about this issue with another congregation, and he said that, you know, you bite, you devour one another, and as a result, you consume each other. See, God desires for us to live under the Holy Spirit's gracious, enabling empowerment. A Spirit-filled community lives not for the private benefit of the individual, but for the benefit of others. Uh, the individuals love and serve one another. See, it, it is the Spirit of God who enables the Christian to establish healthy relationships. So, Paul tells the believers to stop being conceited, stop being arrogant and boastful, and thinking, well, you, you think in one of two ways, which all goes back to this issue of pride, uh, e- either you think uh, that you're better and so you provoke, you challenge, or you think you're inferior and you feel jealousy. Uh, let me expound upon that a little bit more if I can. Point A uh, in uh, uh, Roman numeral 2 here, if you, you see, he, he says basically that the way that you stop being conceited is to, to stop provoking one another. Um, oftentimes what happens is that as you, if you think that you are better than somebody else, um, then uh, you, you kind of show that by challenging you show your superiority uh, by, uh, uh, again, demonstrating it that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe you feel unaccepted, maybe you feel unapproved. But, but we gain a sense of value, a sense of self-worth by challenging someone that we know that we can best. We, we know that, you know, we can be better, whatever it could be, some kind of thinking or something they're doing. But that's not the way we should be. Uh, we shouldn't think that way. Uh, a second way Christian um, kind of manifests this, this attitude of conceit is in the envying of, of one another, Paul says. Uh, point B, where we become jealous of somebody else. Um, why? Well, I don't know. We, we, we 
see a person, maybe they're, they're getting blessed more than we are, they have uh, their gifts, uh, you know, maybe it has something to do with the achievements, um, but, but we begin to feel inferior. And so we respond by becoming resentful towards the things that they have that the Lord has given them. Uh, maybe we gossip about them because that, that, that kind of tears them down and, and builds us up. Or maybe we seek to find fault in them or we become angry. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Now, that, that, that is an interesting story. You know, the, the younger son takes his inheritance and goes off into the city and squanders it. But the older son, he, he's the faithful son. He's the responsible son. He stays on the farm. He helps dad. And, of course, when the younger son comes back after squandering all the money that the dad had given him, his father, with open arms, receives him. But, but the older son, well, he doesn't like that. He gets jealous. He's envious. He says, you know, the younger son shouldn't be getting this kind of treatment. You know, he was the bad son. I'm the good son. You know, there, there was this jealousy and envy going on. And of course, the dad said, hey, if you wanted a party, you should have asked. I would have thrown you a party. See, it, it kind of gives us a little picture of, of the older son's attitude, his perspective in life, uh, what he was thinking. He was being conceited. He was thinking that, uh, again, um, he was jealous because of the way that his dad was treating um, uh, the younger son. See, if we feel either superior or inferior, our attitude is due to being conceited, uh, boasting. You know, we have a, a basically an unrealistic opinion of ourselves, and, and we can't bear rivals in, in terms of those relationships. I love a quote. It's a long quote. It's from uh, uh, the author Henry Nouwen. And he says this, it's kind of helped me in terms of keeping these things, uh, these, these principles that Paul is talking about in, in perspective. See what you think about this. <clears throat> Henry says this, he says, In a world that constantly compares people, ranking them as more or less intelligent, more or less attractive, more or less successful, it is not easy to really believe in a love that does not do the same. When I hear someone praised, it is not hard to think of myself as less praiseworthy. When I read about the goodness and kindness of other people, it is not hard to wonder whether I myself am as good uh, and kind as they. When I see trophies, rewards, and prizes being handed out to special people, I cannot avoid asking myself why that didn't happen to me. The world in which I have grown up is a world so full of grades, scores, statistics, that consciously or unconsciously, I always try to take my measure against all the others. Much sadness and gladness in my life flows directly from my comparing, and most, if not all, of this comparing is useless and a terrible waste of time and energy. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Boy, that, that's our culture. I mean, that's, that's what we are constantly being bombarded with. Well, you know, the solution to this problem of competing and comparing ourselves to others is found in having a proper perspective of our relationship to God, understanding our identity. Who am I in Christ? You know, what what does this relationship with God look like? Because if I have a right kind of relationship with God, if I am staying, keeping in step with the Spirit, guess what? My relationships with other people will be level too. And so so the issue here becomes one of being free to see that, that the people in my community, in this church, who know Christ as their Savior, that's my brother, that's my sister. Uh, we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so as we begin to see, well, how God loves me, how, you know, that he loves the other people that are, you know, it, it's easier than to, 
to kind of work with regards to, to dealing with relationships in a proper way. Uh, we will see the, through the eyes of the Father how he loves others because we understand better how he loves me. So that's all part of the aspect of grace. Uh, John Stott uh, articulates this attitude this way, and it, it should be up there. He, he says this. He says, truly Christian relationships are governed not by rivalry, but by service. The correct attitude to other people is not, I'm better than you, and I'll prove it, nor you're better than I, and I resent it, but you are a person of importance in your uh, own right because God made you in his own image, and Christ died for you. It is my joy and privilege to serve you. I love some of the songs we sang this morning uh, with the worship team because it made me think about these principles, these concepts, uh, because of what God has done uh, for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul laying this foundation down then, then goes on with my last point here in, in the sermon notes to talk to us about how love is shown toward other believers. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 deals with this. This is point 3. He, he's going to go on and he's going to talk about four things that we can do that shows forth. It's not exhaustive, but at least four things that we can do that shows forth this love that we should have towards others. Agape love. It's, it's a supernatural love, and you'll see why. Because look in point A, you see one of the first things he talks about in verse 1 of chapter 6 is this. We need, in order to show love towards others, there needs to be this attitude of forgiveness and restoration. Listen to what Paul says. In verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. See, the, the one who takes this action of love is the one who's keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, I, I don't know about you, but the, the aspect here is, is, is one of, of restoring someone that has been caught in a sin. That's never a fun thing to do, to have to confront people. Um, it, it, there is also need, a, a balance that needs to be mentioned here in terms of we're not playing Holy Spirit, okay? That's not an issue. I, I had a friend in a in one church I used to attend, after every service, you know, we would, we would break up and we would fellowship with others. And he'd always be in the corner, arms crossed, looking. Just looking, okay, what's going on here? And he was, he was an elder in the church, and we, when we'd get together for elders' meetings, he would, he would clue us in on what he saw happening within the relationships of, of people there in the church. And, you know, a lot of times it was nothing more than just being judgmental. It was like, well, how do you know what was going on? How do you know what they were talking about? You can't always tell by facial expressions. You know, in other words, this issue of restoring somebody to sin, is it's not a matter of, hey, I don't care for your hairstyle, you know, you're wrong kind of thing, or I don't care for your dress, you know, uh, how you dress, your style there. That, that, let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying here is that when we know that there is someone that has been caught in a sin, what we need to do as a goal here is, is to, to be, have the attitude to, to want to restore that person. The word restore here means to, to restore to its former condition. It was used in the, in the, in the secular sense in medical terminology um, uh, to, to setting a, a fracture or dislocated bone. And so, again, if we're living in a conceited manner, we're not going to want to try to catch or to help people in this way. We're going to want to try to catch people in sin so that we can criticize them, turn someone else's sin into a reason for gossip or a reason to boast about our own perceived righteousness. Or sometimes we carry the attitude of, well, I'm not going to get involved. You know, they're, they're going to have to stand before Christ. And 
And you know, it's hard sometimes to do this. Um, therefore, while this, this was a very uh, convicting sermon for me to, to write because I realized I had gotten to a point of where I wasn't applying this principle of love in the community because I had been beat up so many times in, in lovingly trying to confront people. The, the, one of the last uh, instances had to, to do with a person who, that was saying some things about me that wasn't true. And it was impacting uh, our life in a significant way. There were people that were supporting our ministry that stopped supporting because of these accusations that weren't true. And, of course, when I went to talk to this person, he didn't want to hear it. And there was just, there was just no getting around it. In fact, there were other people that were involved in, in some of the gossip that was being spread. And this person wouldn't even let me know who those other people were so that I could go talk to them. So, I, hey, if I had done something wrong, I wanted to... I wanted to apologize. I wanted to make the wrongs right. And, you know, it just kind of leaves you with, okay, I'm not getting involved with this anymore. <laughs> I'm getting hurt and beat up too much. But you know what? That's not what the Scripture's saying here. Paul doesn't say that. He says, look, the, if someone is caught in a sin, to show love means that you're going to be willing to, to help that person, to restore them. The context here also has to do with, uh, with um, secondly, the second point here, has to do with the issue of um, bearing another's burdens you see in verses two and three not only are we to help restore people who are struggling but but then there's also the issue of being willing to bear one another's burdens he says carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of christ if anyone thinks he he is uh, something when they are not they deceive themselves see the second way in which we are called to love in a community is by being being willing to come alongside and help and, and the context here i think it has to do with spiritual warfare that is going on you know, all of us, uh, I think at times, carry heavy loads. Now, for some of us, it's, it's hard for us to ask for help. That's not right. And for others, it's, it, it may be um, where, where we are, are not so much a problem but a good thing in terms of where we want to take the initiative to help. We want to fulfill this because the aspect of fulfilling the law of Christ is, is clarified. In chapter 5, verse 14, which I think in Galatians 5, 14, um, Paul says this, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, as in the statement. What is that statement? Well, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember when Jesus was given the, the story about the, um, uh, the Good Samaritan? And uh, one of the leaders in the crowd, after he gave the story, said, yeah, uh, but master, who's, who's my neighbor? <laughs> Do you know who your neighbor is? Your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you can meet. Did you catch that? Your neighbor is anyone who has a need that you can meet. So what Paul is saying here is, is again, look, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love, by looking to come alongside those that are struggling and bearing their burdens. Uh, now, he, and again, he warns us in this. He says, look, if, if anyone thinks he is something when he's not, he deceives himself. Again, this, this, this mindset is, you know, if I think I'm better than you, well, then the last thing I'm going to want to do is to help you. Or sometimes I say, well, it serves you right. You deserve what you're getting. No, I'm not going to get in the way to help you. No, that's not what Paul is saying, especially as it relates to the issue of spiritual warfare that I think um, some of these believers here in Galatia were going through. You see, we, we, when we live in, in the freedom of Christ, we, we will be willing to lift the burdens of others. And as a result, fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing burdens, then, is, is a, in other words, a manifestation of a spirit-controlled community. Um, but, but there's also a balance to that. Point C, 
Another way in which we can express this love that we have for one another is that we don't take advantage of Christian generosity. See, that's what Paul is kind of getting at when he says, look, each one should test their own actions. Each one needs needs to evaluate, okay, what's my motivation for helping this person? Or what's my motivation for allowing this person to help? Um, (laughs) My one daughter is is involved in a Bible study um, in in D.C., Washington, D.C. area, where she works, and and uh, she was kind of designated as the one who picks up some of the girls uh, who don't have transportation to bring them to the Bible study. And that's all fine and well, but after you do that for, you know, a semester, and it's like she has to go out of her way, you know, the, the attitude with some of the girls was, uh, to pick up these girls and to drop them off is that, well, it's, it, it's your privilege. You're supposed to serve. Yeah, but you could also show appreciation by offering for some gas money. You know, gas is not cheap, uh, you know, traveling around, or maybe a gift, something nice. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can take advantage of generosity from other believers. And uh, Paul is saying, look, don't realize something. Uh, don't take advantage of the generosity. Um, he, he's using basically two different words. You, you may notice he, he talks about burden in verse 2. And the burden is a heavy load. Uh, usually that's, that, that's the aspect of, of because of... Um, um, uh, you know, the spiritual battles that may be going on in, in a person's life. But he's using a different word here in verse 5. Uh, the word here has, has to do with a load as it refers to a, a man's pack, a, a day's worth of, of, of um, supplies, a day's worth of, of needs that they have that they're carrying. And he's basically saying, look, we need to be responsible for ourselves. Okay, yes, there needs to be a time when we ask people for help and we, and we accept that help, but then there's also times where, where we balance that out, where, okay, I've got to stand on my own two feet. You know, yes, there are times when the burdens of life are crushing and we need the help of others, but then we must not forget that the pressures of everyday life are burdensome, yes, but they're there to, to help us to become responsible. And so Paul's talking about those kinds of, of aspects of, of relations and how it impacts relationships with other people. Well, lastly, <clears throat> then verse 6 says this. He says, point D, a, a community that is ex- experiencing biblical faith through agape love is, is a community that, that shows its love towards its pastors or pastor, depending on uh, if you have one or a number of, of staff there or elders, you could say. Um, again, the de- demonstration of this love has to do with well, what Paul says here. Let each one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. You know, um, sometimes people think that, that pastors aren't real. <laughs> you know, we kind of put them on a pedestal, and, and we think that, the, you know, they're just super saints. But, you know, pastors are no different than anybody else. They, they just happen to fulfill the office. They, they have certain duties that, that they're doing. Um, they're not necessarily, uh, they're not uh, uh, to be put on a pedestal, nor are they, de- or, nor are they to be chided for their inability to meet every perceived need. The times that, that people have come up to me and have said things, it's like, well, I had no idea that, that you, you know, this was happening. You know, sometimes we, we expect them to, to be able to read people's minds. Uh, no, no, they can't. They can't do that. Pastors are simply people whom God has set aside to study the Word of God and to teach it, to, to feed the congregation. And so there's that aspect of, of not just only financially helping to meet needs. I was, I was at a church candidating a number of years ago, and afterwards um, in, the, um, um, in the meeting, uh, I, I was sharing that, you know, knowing 
where this community, where this church was and where the community is and what they were offering, offering financially, it was like about a third of what, every, what the average income was of everybody. And I said, gee, I, don't, I just don't know how a pastor can live on that. And they weren't willing to, to allow the pastor to work a, a second job. It, it had to be. And I said, and, and I don't know if you, one of the ladies in the group, she piped up, she stood up, and she said, well, what do you expect us to do? Feed you and clothe you? I didn't know what to do with my face. I just kind of, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, well, needless to say, that didn't work out <clears throat> very well. Anyway, um, and you can just write this down if you're looking for some, some notes here in terms of this issue. 1 Corinthians 9-11, uh, Paul is just talking about that, that aspect of uh, since, uh, you know, we planted spiritual seed among you, uh, you know, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? Yes. And 1 Timothy 5, 17, 18, basically, again, talks about that aspect that the labor is worthy as wage. You know, the elder that does a good job. Um, and, and it's more than just financial uh, compensation, but it's just the aspect of showing love. Uh, the pastor sows the good seed of God's word and reaps a livelihood because of that. You would be surprised the number of churches that don't understand that principle. Um, um, so anyway, uh, pastors, again, they're, they're not to control the community. The, the community is not to control the pastor. Uh, there, there's to be a, just a healthy relationship of loving one another. Again, biblical faith working through agape love in that community. And when the people see that, they, they say, well, there's really something different about that group. So uh, these are some of the ways that, that biblical faith works in a community. It, it restores others. It bears burdens. There is self-evaluation going on, a little bit of introspection, which is good, uh, and a recognition of the centrality of God's word. Look, love, loving others is not easy. Living in community is not easy. But that's the way God has set it up. And God always knows what's best in terms of, of fulfillment for us and, and, and being able to experience uh, all that God desires for us to experience. I'm going to close with this last quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, um, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safely in the, bas- in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is in hell. Think about that. It's interesting what C.S. Lewis says as it relates to this issue.